0: I'm just glad we can be here today. I'm glad we can jump in God's Word. Uh, I'm glad we can continue this series that we're in talking about this new year and how it's a fresh start. There's something about every new year that comes around. It's a time for us to reflect about our lives, about where we are, about where we want to be, about just a lot of stuff. It's a time of reflection. Um, And so it really is a time for a fresh start to the new year. Um, Last week, we talked about this whole idea of growth and how that growth is a process. Um, And so if we kind of want to jump in a little deeper today, I want to talk about how do we grow? If we want to focus on growing in our faith, growing in our life, growing in our obedience to Christ... How do we do that? Where do we start and why do we do it? Why, if we kind of peel back and, and really look at it, what is our motivation for growing? Um, if you've been to church much, you know that um, one of the things that you you tend to, to pick up is that uh, if you want to grow spiritually, uh, there's a list of things you need to do. You need to go to church every time the church doors are open. Uh, you need to, to get involved in a Bible study or a small group. You need to read your Bibles. You need to pray. You need to serve at church. Uh, there's a whole list. And if you do all that stuff, then you're going to grow. I want to push back a little bit and say, that's not really a formula for growth. That's a formula to stay busy. Uh, but there's more to growth than just being busy. There's more to growing in your faith than just doing a list of items. Because growth is really about how you are relationally growing to Jesus, to our Lord and our Savior. Uh, there was a study done about 13, 14 years ago. It's kind of interesting. It was a big church did it. They, they brought in several other churches. And I, I may have mentioned this before, but uh, the interesting thing, they wanted to know which one of their programs and activities was causing people to grow the most. Kind of a a good question for church to to ask. And so they did this big study and what they found really shocked them. Um, And at the end of the study, pretty much the the kind of the the end result was that church activity did not lead to spiritual growth. Um, And what they found was that spending time with Jesus led to spiritual growth. That's kind of a shocker, isn't it? Um, it was like, okay, being the, the peop- just being busy at church didn't automatically lead to people growing in their faith. And it caused them to kind of reset all their, 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 really their church structure because they had based uh, on how much we could do at the church, how many times we could open the door, how many ministries, how many serving opportunities. And they found that all this stuff wasn't really leading to spiritual growth. Uh, John Ortberg said this a few years ago. He said, many approaches to spiritual growth assume that the same methods will produce the same growth in different people. But they don't because you have been created by God as a unique person. Um, His plan to grow you will not look the same as his plan to grow anyone else. Imagine a doctor's office where every patient is told, take two aspirin and call me in the morning. Headache. That is great advice. But if your appendix has just burst, you will be dead before the morning. All right. Imagine a store that sells only one kind of shirt, one color, style, fabric, size, and and makes the same deal on pants. There is no one size fits all store because God made people in different sizes. And there's really no one size fits all plan for spiritual growth because each and every one of us is different. And so we have to learn how we can grow, how we can connect, how we can grow in our relationship with God. And so this morning, I, I want to kind of jump in. I want to talk about that process of growth, or that, that, that process of transformation. So let's start off by defining what spiritual growth is. Spiritual growth is being transformed to become more like Jesus. This is what spiritual growth is. It's not increase. It's not an increase in your knowledge, although that comes with it. It's not a uh, I'm a busy person that does a whole lot of stuff at the church, but that can come with it. But it's being transformed from the inside out to be more like Jesus. In the Greek, the word transformed. It's a. It's used in many different ways, but it's it's kind of similar to our word morph. Uh, it, there's a transformation that takes place. It's a, it was the term used to describe the formation and growth of an embryo in the mother's womb. Uh, Paul used this word in his letter to the Galatians when he says, until Christ is formed in you. Um, and so he, he was just agonizing over that. He wanted Christ to be formed inside of the people he was writing to, he used another form of this word when he told the Christians in Rome that God had predestined them to predestined them to be conformed to the image of His Son. So he wanted their lives to be shaped to be more like Jesus. He used another form of this word in Romans uh, when he says we we don't conform to this world. And we're actually, Romans twelve two. I'll just share it. Uh, Don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That, By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this transformed uh, the the version of the word here. uh, It's where we get our word metamorphosis. It's, It's that type of change. It's a complete transformation from one thing to another. Uh, it's it's interesting. If you define metamorphosis, it's a great, usually rather sudden change in appearance or character. And so, this is a big change. It's not just something that uh, it's a little change. No. When you are growing in your faith, you are transformed. There's this huge change that takes place, and it's ch- and, and as Paul says here, it's changed. It changes the way we think. The renewing of our minds, it's, its we are changed from the inside out. Um, John Ortberg also said this. He said, when transformation happens, I don't just do the things Jesus would have done. I find myself wanting to do them. They appeal to me. They make sense. I don't just go around trying to do right things. I become the right sort of person. And so I, I kind of want to challenge us a little bit today to, to ask you the question: Are you the right kind of person? Are you doing the right things for the right reason? Have you been transformed to become more like Jesus? And and has that change taken place in your life? There's a question on social media this week, and you may have seen it. It was uh, someone asking, I, I think, a, a legitimately sincere question: Is um, what does it mean to be a Christian? And it was interesting to see a lot of the responses weren't really correct. I mean, a lot of the responses were, uh, well, it's someone who just follows the teachings of Jesus or it's someone who does good things or someone who's a nice person or who treats others well. And all those sound good, but that's not what makes you a Christian. You can follow the teachings of Jesus and not be a Christian. Do you understand that? Because being a Christian, it's not based on what you do. It's not based on your activities. It's not those things are a result of a transformation that has already taken place in your life. And so those things are evidence that you're a Christian, but they don't make you a Christian. And I think we get that wrong so, so often in our community and in our context we live in. There's a lot of people who think, well, if I'm a good enough person and if I do the right things, then that will get me to heaven. That will save me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that nothing we do is good enough. Uh, Because we are sinners separated from God. And the only way we can be saved is because of what Jesus has done for us. It's because of what he has done, not what we have achieved. And so uh, I wanted to share with you, there's so many passages in the Bible that talk about this transformation, that talk about this change, that talk about uh, really what's happened to us because our salvation is not just based on a lot of doing a lot of good stuff john 5 says this i tell you the truth that those who listen to my message and believe uh, that's the key word believe in god who sent me have eternal life they will never be condemned for their sins but they have already passed from death to life there's such a transformation that john says it's like you were dead and now you're alive that's pretty big change uh, that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that, that's how big of a change we're talking about, though. It's as if we were dead and now we have been brought back to life. And, and Titus, Paul said it this way. He said, he talked about this change. He said, once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled. We became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of en- evil and envy and we hated each other. It's not really a good uh, list of, of characteristics there for us. But, but when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. I love this passage because Paul says we were slaves to sin. We were full of evil and hate, but something miraculous happened and that something miraculous was Jesus. That's what changed us. It's not based on what we have done. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy, because of his grace. There's this transformation that that took place. In Romans chapter 5, another passage that talks about this. And I'm just, uh, I'm using a lot of scripture today. I hope that's all right with you guys. Um, I think the Bible says it better than I can say it. And so I'm just going to take us to the word this morning. And and hopefully, if if you want to follow along, it's on the Uversion Bible app. There's sermon notes under events there. Uh, Also, if you go to our website, live.mycornerstone.org, you can copy them from that. All these scripture references. Uh, and so uh, they're on Facebook, I think, in the notes too. So you can find them all sorts of places. But I really, uh, I would encourage you to go back and, and spend some time in the Word this week, and and read not only the passages I'm sharing, but uh, the chapters, the context before and after what we're sharing here. In Romans five, it says this: When we were utterly helpless, we couldn't even help ourselves. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So we were sinners. We were separated from God. And now we can be friends of God. Why? Because of Jesus. And and so that brings me to to, to a big problem to our world today. Um, There's a lot of people who claim that they are believers, that claim that they are Christians, that claim that they are saved, but in their lives don't reflect Jesus. Would you guys agree with me on that? And I'm I'm not here to judge whether they are truly saved or not, but I am here to, to say that concerns me. It scares me that a lot of people think that, hey, Being saved is just a matter of joining a church, signing a piece of paper, praying a prayer, and then they can get back and live their life any way they want to. That concerns me. It concerns me. A lot of people think on the opposite end of the extreme uh, that it's more of a legalistic that I'm saved if I do all of this good stuff. I I follow this list of rules. I dress a certain way. I do the right things. Then I'm saved. You've got the moralism on one side and the relativism on the other side. Uh, And you've got this confusion about what it means to to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, what it means to be born again. And so I want to kind of take us to the word this morning and help us understand a little more about this transformation process. Uh, There's a story uh, about a famous football coach, uh, Vince Lombardi, uh, coached the Green Bay Packers years ago, famous coach. This is It was kind of interesting. He would start each year, a bunch of professional football players around. He would hold up the football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. And that's where he would start on day one. Uh, And he would take it from there and say, and he believed in going over the basics. He believed in starting at the first step and walking them through everything because he knew that over time you forget about the basics. You forget about what brought you to where you are. The Same thing with John Wooden, the famous UCLA basketball coach. Uh, He did the same thing. He would get his players together, and the first practice every year, he would actually take the time and demonstrate how to put on your socks the correct way. That sounds a little silly though, right? These are college basketball players. They've been playing a while. And he's like, nope, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Because if you don't put them on the correct way, you're going to get a blister. Uh, This is going to cause problems. Uh, I want to teach you the correct way to do it. We're going to start with the basics. And he worked up from there, right? I think at church, sometimes we got to do that. we got to go back and say, this is the basics. we got to get back and say, this is the gospel. This is where we start so we can go on to more advanced things so we can go on and understand why we are doing things, so we don't get ourselves in trouble later on because we misunderstood what was most important. And so when we start out this year, this is what we're doing. We're getting back to the basics of the gospel. I remember practices growing up, you know, uh, playing sports where we were playing basketball and they'd say, here's a basketball, but guess what? You're not going to get to touch it today. And it would just be running, 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 right? The whole time. Why? Because that's what we needed to prepare ourselves for later on. This is the basics. We're getting back to saying this is the gospel. This is where we start. This is what we need to do. The, the, the truth is, uh, when you look at Matthew 7, Jesus himself said, this is, this is like the, 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 one of the most concerning, scariest portions of all of Scripture. It should be, I mean, it, this is the, the thing that should, should concern every single one of us. When Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 7. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. That, that passage really concerns me as a pastor, right? Because these are people who were doing things for God. They were serving. They were saying, Well, we did all this for you. And God says, but I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. That should scare us a little bit because it should wake us up and realize it's not about all checking off a whole lot of of stuff that we've done for God. It's about do we know God? Do we have a relationship with him? Are we abiding in Christ? That's really what this is all about. So if we look around, we see a lot of people who claim to know God, but their life looks nothing like God. That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Do we need to do a better job of explaining what it means to be a Christian? And so if you're transformed, if you're growing spiritually, what does this transformation result in? How do we know we're saved? What is the evidence of our salvation? Well, here's one of the things we are transformed to live like Jesus. Jesus. Again, we got to get back to the motivation. We don't do this to earn our salvation, but we do this as evidence of our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5 says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The gospel tells us that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus to save us, we are forgiven of our sin. We are brought into the family of God. We become a new person. The old life is gone. The Gospel says this. It says uh, uh, Tim Keller says, the Gospel is not about something we do, but about what has been done for us. and yet the Gospel results in a whole new way of life. It results in a whole new way of life. That means our desires are different. That means our thoughts are different. That means our attitudes are different. That means everything about us, our motivations are different. Everything about us, our heart, our intentions, our everything about us is changed because just like we started off with, we used to be one way, now we're not. As the chosen says, I used to be one thing, now I'm not, and the only thing that changed was Jesus, right? That that's the only that's that's what has changed us. And, and that means that we simply cannot continue to live like we used to because inwardly we have been transformed, and our greatest. Our greatest desire now is to follow Jesus. It's to live like Jesus. But it's not easy because the world is constantly pulling us and saying, "Uh, Did God really say that? Do you really need to do that? Does it really matter? You need to do what you want to do. You need to do what makes you happy. It's all about you. Don't worry about God. Just you do you. That's what the world tells us. The world is bombarding us with that self-centered message. The world is always trying to pull us back to the old way of life, where we used to be. But spiritual transformation means that we have to to do some training. Uh, We have to go back to the basics. We have to keep doing things over and over because, um, you know, it's not just easy Uh, uh, one author said this. He said, Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said we have to train ourselves for godliness. Uh, he goes, and Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says this. He said, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a, a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Uh, there, there's training, there's preparation. I was doing a, a workout video the other day, and uh, it's, it was talking about stretching afterwards and like the cool down. It said, OK, bend down now, touch your toes, put your hands on the floor. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> Any of y'all with me on that? You're like, maybe. No, I could never do that. And like, i bend down and it's like, that's it. I mean, that's like I can get to my knees <laughs> and he can say, try harder. It doesn't matter how hard I'm trying. I'm not going any farther. I can try all day long, but this old body ain't stretching no more. I mean, that's just, that's it. Now, I can try hard, it ain't happening. But if I start training and I start stretching every day, after a couple years, I may be able to. You can regain flexibility, but it it takes some effort. It takes some work. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, why do I say that? Well, when you forgive somebody, it doesn't come naturally. It's hard to do. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. When you show mercy and compassion to someone, it's hard to do at first because we're cynical. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. Do you see where I'm going? It takes training to learn to live like Jesus because it's so counter. Cultural, and, and it takes spending time with Jesus. It t- it takes understanding why we're doing it. Our motivations changed. Our desire has changed. We're not doing it to, to check off a box. We're not doing it to earn something from God. We're doing it because we are thankful that He has brought us from death to life. We're thankful that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're thankful that He made such a remarkable transformation in our lives that we will do anything we can to show our love back to him because of what he's done for us. This is what spiritual growth and spiritual transformation looks like. There, there's a verse in, the, in, in 2 Corinthians that I love, and I just I haven't heard it preached on that much. I haven't seen it that much in Bible studies, but it's so powerful. And, and it's 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So he's referring here, Moses had a veil that covered his face that prevented the people from seeing the glory of God. He's saying now because of Jesus, that veil has been removed. We can see God in all of His glory because of what He did through Jesus. And because of that now, we're reflecting, uh, we're reflecting that glory to others. There's an older version of that same verse uh, that said this. It said, all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. We are mirrors that reflect His glory. And, and over time, as we grow, when people look at us, they need to be seeing more of Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about mirrors in and, and, and first century times is that they didn't have a process to make mirrors like we have today. They were metallic. And the only way in the mirrors were, were you, when you look at yourself, you didn't see the, the best reflection because it wasn't a perfect surface. And the only way you could get a better reflection was to put the work in to, to polish that mirror. The more you polished it, the better the reflection was. And I think that's what our life is like, isn't it? It takes work. It takes training. It takes time to polish Ourselves, so that people, when they look at us, they don't see us, they see Jesus in us. So, as we grow, that's the ultimate goal. We want to live like Jesus so that people can see Jesus in us. I can stand up here and I can tell you, now here's what you need to do. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And over here, here's what you don't do. You don't do this, you don't do this, and you don't do this. But when we live like that, our lives don't reflect Jesus. They reflect whoever made that list, right? It's not about following a list. It's about living like Jesus. It's about abiding in Him. It's about spending so much time with Him that you understand how He lived and why He lived. And He lives through us today through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the process of training is why it's so important for us to spend time with God so we know how we can live. And that kind of brings us to talk about spiritual disciplines a little bit. I, that's a word, I don't, I don't like that word sometimes, spiritual discipline. Uh, it sounds like something bad, right? When you're disciplined, it's not always a good thing. It can be for your good, but for most of us, we have negative connotations of discipline. I remember second grade, my music teacher, she was not a nice person. God rest her soul. Um, when I think about discipline um that's what I think about right I mean but spiritual disciplines are different it's something we do to help us grow to be more like Jesus and in fact I want to give you a definition of spiritual disciplines we'll put it up on the screen here spiritual disciplines are activities that help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it that doesn't sound so bad now does it? doesn't sound like something you don't want to do if it helps me to live like Jesus, this is something then that I want to do. And so that means for some of you, right, as we all grow different, uh, there's some things that we all should do that help us all. One is getting in God's Word. I mean, we know things like that, like prayer. For some of you, journaling works great. It helps you connect to God. It helps you kind of collect your thoughts. It help, And for some of you, you to pick up a piece of uh, a paper and a pen would drive you literally insane Right? there's there's things like for some of you getting out in the woods and walking and praying and talking to god is like your reset button it just helps you connect with god helps you connect with his creation and for some of you if you know you can't imagine walking outside There there's just we're made differently right and so there are different spiritual disciplines, but there are activities that help us. For some of you, for for me, it's reading books. I want to read. I want to learn from others. It's, there's a process of learning that helps me grow closer to God. For some of you, it's serving. You're like I want. I don't care what I'm doing. I just want to be serving. I just want to be helping someone. I want. That's my act. That brings me closer to God. And so for all of us, we have different ways we can grow. And those are spiritual disciplines. Those activities that help me to gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. It's why we can do things like fasting. Um, fasting helps us. Uh, uh, the, the, the disciplines like that of, of silence and solitude and fasting that help us to, to be able to say no to things. So when we consistently do things that we know we shouldn't, when we do disciplines like that, it it teaches us, it trains us how to say no. Uh, So there are are lots of disciplines, lots of things that we can do to help us learn to live like Jesus. And I love, again, what John Ortberg says here. He said a disciplined person is someone who can do the right thing um, at the right time in the right way with the right spirit. That's what a disciplined person does. And so, again, we're getting back to the basics here. If we have been saved by the gospel, if we have been transformed. If we have been brought from death to life, then we now live our lives in a different way. Our lives should reflect Jesus. So we're transformed to live like Jesus. But here's the most defining characteristic of a Christian. We're also uh, transformed to love like Jesus. So we live like Jesus and we love like Jesus. The, the truest mark of a transformed life is love. That's why Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That, that's, that's incredibly basic, but incredibly important, right? Your love for one another, that's when the world sees us. That's how we're going to know that we are believers, that we are Christians, that we have been transformed. It's not how much you yell at each other, It's not how much conflict, it's not what news channel you watch. It's your love for one another. First John five, he kind of John kind of keeps going here. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his children too. It's the same thought. Your love for one another. Do you love God's children? We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we can achieve this victory through Uh, through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so here he lays it out. Okay, again, we've got to love other believers, but our love for God is demonstrated in how well we obey His commandments. So if we don't obey His commandments, that, that just shows that we don't really love God. And so that's pretty, I mean, it's simplistic, but it's very true. Our love for God is proved by how we obey his commands. And they're not a burden. It's not like something, it's not an obligation. It's not something like, oh man, here's another thing I got to do. It's like there's a desire in us that's changed because of who we are now. Our position before God has changed. Our status has changed. And, And so now we follow God not out of a burden, not out of an obligation, but because we want to. Uh, even uh, Paul realized this in the, in the Corinthian church. They were fighting about spiritual gifts and fighting about who was better than each other. And, and he told them in 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I have the gift of prophecy I could understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others I would be nothing if I gave everything I have to the poor I sacrificed my body I could boast about it but if I didn't love others I would have gained nothing this is how important love is And then right after this, we go into the whole wedding passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. Not selfish. Keeps no record of wrongs. All that. That's in the middle of this where he's talking about, you got to quit fighting in church and get along with each other. It's kind of a nice wedding passage, isn't it? You know, but again, I mean, this is, this is what, if we want to be like Jesus, we've got to live like him. We've got to love like him because love is that defining characteristic. Jesus, I mean, he put this into practice. He even said, we've, in Matthew 5, he said, I say, love your enemies. He's not just talking about loving people that look like us and act like us and talk like us. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Act, in that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven this is what it looks like right it, it means that we love people who are different from us i love that jesus gives us such an incredible example of this and whether um it doesn't matter who he comes into contact with he treated them with love and kindness You you think about, especially people in their sin. You think about the woman at the well that was not, uh, let's say she did not have an appropriate relationship with the person she was living with. You've been married four times, the person you're living with now is not even your husband. But Jesus treated her with love and dignity and respect. And so much so that she ran back to the village and started telling everybody about Jesus. And, And people were coming from all over to hear Jesus because of how he treated her. What about the woman who was caught in the middle of adultery, brought to Jesus and said, we're going to stone her. And, and Jesus, he's like, OK, Um, you know, he wrote down something. He said, let he who was without sin cast the first stone. And, and everybody just started leaving. And he looks around and saying, they don't condemn you, neither do I. But he said, go and sin no more. And that's. When we look at Jesus, he had this incredible way to show love, but to to share truth in the middle of that love. It's not like he gave them a free pass to live and do whatever they wanted. He he still shared the truth, but he was that perfect combination of truth and grace. And and so I, I share that. I mean, Jesus, he wasn't afraid to call people out for sin. We see that with the Pharisees. We see that with the religious leaders. But we also see, uh, right, when uh, whatever when the Nicodemus came, and we see how Jesus treated him, even though he's a Pharisee, he 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 desired for him to understand this whole idea of salvation and being born again. And so I, I, we just have this perfect illustration uh, through Jesus of how our life can be changed. So let me just ask you this morning. Has your life changed because of Jesus? When you look at your life, has a change taken place? Are you different now than you were last month? Are you different now than you were last year? Are you different now than you were five years ago? Are you different now than you were ten years ago? Do you see a progression in your life where Jesus is reflected more and more? That's spiritual growth. That's what spiritual growth looks like. Is that over time, we see our lives reflect Jesus more and more. I'm so thankful that I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm so thankful. I think about the way I used to act, even after I became a Christian. (laughs) I think about things I used to say and do and act. And I'm so thankful that my life has changed. What about you? What's your story? What's your testimony? Your testimony is simply your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, how you got saved, and then how your life has changed since that point. And so when we add those things together, that's your story. That's your testimony. And and can you share that? If someone asks you, hey, tell me about Jesus. Can you say, well, I'll tell you about my story. This is what happened. This is how I was. This is how I met Jesus. This is what's changed. That's your testimony. It doesn't have to be like, you know what? I used to be in a gang and I was shot 20 times and now uh, I was brought back from the dead 10 times and, and now I'm, I'm, I'm preaching around the world to millions. No, your testimony could be I grew up in church and my parents took me to church and, 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 but I came to know Jesus at a young age and this is what's changed. This is what He saved me from. This is what He kept me from doing. This is how He's changed my life. Your story could be remarkable. I mean, you, you may have things in your life that you haven't admitted to anyone, but when you look back, you see how God has healed you from some, some incredible heartache and pain. That's your testimony. How has your life changed because of Christ? I want to close with this passage in, in 2 Peter. Uh, and it's a, it's a neat passage here. And go back and read it this week, but it's, it's in chapter 1. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those who God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, it's a powerful passage, guys. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're a church. That's why we gather together to encourage each other, to equip each other, to learn what it means to follow Jesus together. So this world that is hurting, this world that is lost can see how they can be brought back to God, how they can be reconciled to God, how they can be saved, how they can find meaning and purpose in a world that lacks it so much. That's our mission, to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach them everything that Christ has commanded. That's why we're here. So how has your life changed? How are you reflecting Jesus? Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father. I'm so thankful for your word each and every Sunday that we can read, that we can dive into, that we can learn from. Would you help us all be mirrors that brightly reflect Jesus to the world around us? This community, this world is hurting right now. They're looking for hope. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for, for purpose. And we have it in Jesus. So help us to not keep it to ourselves, but to share it with others. Lord, I'm thankful for this church, for the work they do here in this community, but help us to continue to share our story of transformation, our story of how God has changed us and transformed us. Help us to not be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that saves us. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom in navigating a, a world that sometimes seems against Christianity. Give us wisdom on how we can hold firm to the truth while still showing love to those around us. And Heavenly Father, finally I pray for those listening, those watching, those here today, that they would know without a shadow of a doubt that they are saved. Your word tells us in First John that, that these words have, be, have been written so that we might know that we have eternal life. So we might know. So that we can know so that we can understand understand that the gospel is not based on what we have done, not what we have achieved, not what we've given, not how we've served, but based on what Jesus has done for us. So if you're here, if you're watching as we pray today, if you don't know Jesus, this is your chance. This is your opportunity to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you'll be saved. It's as simple as that. Simple to do. It's not easy to live. But Heavenly Father, give us the strength to live it out each day, to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray today. Amen.